Locked On Dolphins, hosted by Travis Wingfield. Your daily podcast on the Miami Dolphins. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. I'm in town to play the Dolphins, you dumbass. What's up, Dolphins fans, and welcome into the Friday, June the 14th edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast. I am your host, Travis Wingfield, and as always, I'm here to bring you your daily dose of Miami Dolphins football. And on today's show, we revisit Jason Harina's top quarterbacks of the post-Dan Marino era. Peace up on LockedOnDolphins.com. I lay out the games I'm looking forward to most this season in 2019. We're going to jump back into the Twitter mailbag and preview the NFC East as well as the games Miami plays against Washington, Dallas, Philadelphia, and the New York Giants this season. All of that and much more. But first, before any of it, I kindly invite each and every one of you to please subscribe to the podcast on the new Himalaya podcast app, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, Tuned In, wherever you get your podcast from. Go ahead and subscribe, rate, and review the show. Give me a follow on Twitter. It's at Wingful NFL. The show is at Locked On Fins, and you can check out LockedOnDolphins.com to get you through these next couple of months without any football. And last but not least, the other Locked On Sports family of podcasts like the Locked On Heat podcast and Locked On NFL podcast for all the local and national coverage of your favorite teams. Let's go ahead and jump right in. That's another Miami Dolphins It has been an utter barren wasteland at the quarterback position for our beloved Miami Dolphins this millennia, and we were the lucky ones for 17 years with arguably the greatest quarterback of all time, and unarguably, in my opinion, the greatest thrower of all time, and now we've paid the price, our penance, if you will. Well, Jason Harina, our staff editor at LockedOnDolphins.com, at Miami D-Punks on Twitter, he outlined this bottom half of the terrible 20, or 19, I suppose, earlier in the week. And on Thursday, he published his top 10 quarterbacks since Dan Marino hung up the cleats and unbuckled the chin strap for the last time. And the list starts with a guy that I think was the first the first quarterback that we all kind of collectively anointed as the next answer to the Dan Marino, the the solution to the post-Dan Marino era, because before that it was Jay Fiedler and Jay Feely and Brian Greasy and Gus Farratt. They didn't actually draft anybody high enough for us to have enough reasoning or justification that that guy would be the young franchise signal caller who was a long-term answer. So he has Chad Henney, number 10, which is hilarious in its own right. And then he has number nine, Jay Cutler, ahead of Chad Henney. And I can't agree with Jason on this one, although I always understand his justifications because he tends to have a way of explaining himself, which he does here. Joey Harrington, number eight. And then he makes an even bigger surprise with Brock Osweiler on the list at number seven. A Damon Heward notice on here. Matt Moore, a backup quarterback for most of his career, gets into the top five. I mentioned Gus Farratt and Jay Fiedler. And we end with number two and number one, Ryan Tannehill and Chad Pennington. I think it's pretty difficult to argue against Chad Pennington as the top guy on that list. He was pretty spectacular. That one season, played a few games in twenty in 2009, got hurt. Dolphins were 0-3 in his three games. And that was pretty much the end of Chad Pennington in Miami. So check it out, the list up on LockdownDolphins.com. It's a pretty sad state of affairs at the quarterback position over the last decade, or two decades, I should say. We all know this. Hopefully things change soon. Hopefully, above all of that, 
It's Josh Rosen that provides that change, but if he doesn't, we have a good-looking crop of quarterbacks ready to turn pro this next coming spring, and we're diving into the college quarterback prospects starting next week with Sunday Night Show. I'll break down Tua Tungavailoa's game and his fit in the Dolphins scheme, and I'll do the rest with Jake, or I'll do the same with Jake Fromm, Justin Herbert, and Jordan Love, and some other quarterbacks as well. But let's go ahead and bring this thing back into 2019 and talk about the games that I'm looking forward to most on the slate this season. I'm going to pick three. Frankly, there aren't a whole lot. I think you can circle like you would with a team that has Super Bowl aspirations or even hopes of getting into the playoffs or winning the division. But there are three that I circled, and it starts with me with the most obvious one. Week 9, November the 3rd against the New York Jets. One, I'm going to be credentialed for that game. So I really hope that just like last year with Bill Belichick, I get to go see a salty, salty Adam Gaze in the visitors media room this time around. I asked Adam Gaze a question at the Dolphins media room last year. I'd love to do it this year in the Jets media room and hopefully a little bit more negative connotations to that one. On the field itself, you just know that Adam Gaze is going to attempt to win and run the score up, but I think that he and the Jets could be in for a rude awakening when Gaze has to work from the opposite sideline at Hard Rock Stadium. The matchup looks scary based upon what Gaze's offense has been able to do against the Patriots and Brian Flores down in South Florida the last couple of years, but I'm more inclined to look at what he accomplished in those road games at the Patriots which was a big, fat nothing burger. I think the Dolphins can run the ball on the Jets in this game, and I think it'll be one big shining moment this season. It's going to be this Jets game, week number nine. I cannot wait. And if you're in the area that week and want to grab a beer, I'd love to be able to make that happen with as many fans as possible of the Dolphins and of the podcast. Game number two is the opener against the Baltimore Ravens. I'm on record saying the Dolphins have the shot to end the drought against those pesky Ravens. Opening day in Miami is a tall, tall order. It reminds me of the 2005 opener against the Denver Broncos when everybody thought they were going to come in here and just blow the Dolphins out. Well, it was a blowout, but it went in the opposite direction. Baltimore has its own heat and humidity up in the Northwest but it's nothing like Miami. Plus, the game planning aspect of this game is super intriguing. Will the Ravens roll out something new for Lamar Jackson, or will Brian Flores and company put a stop to the presumed college-style offense they're going to run? On top of that, I think this game pretty much sets a precedent early in the season for what this team is going to be. If Miami wins, then you've got a big Week 2 game with the Patriots at home again, and if you somehow find a way to win that one, win both these games then the Dolphins are the talk of the NFL through two weeks. But more realistically, if they lose, there's a chance for a cavalcade of losses coming off the back of that with a game at the Cowboys and a game on deck against the Chargers at home as well. Following that, if the Dolphins start off 0-4, then it's officially on for Tua Tungavailoa. And the third game I'm looking forward to the most I would say the Bengals game in week 16 because I'm going to be there and be credentialed as well. But let's be real, that's probably a pretty meaningless game on the grand scope of the NFL landscape. The one thing that I'm curious about because of the potential quarterback change is the week six game against the Washington football team. If that's Josh Rosen's first start and the Dolphins are sitting at one and three, there's a chance he could rescue the season, quote unquote, rescue the season at that point. But if they're 0 and 4, it at least gives us a reason to watch because we have the 
young quarterback to scout and figure out if he's the answer long term. So week nine against the Jets, week one against the Ravens, and week six against Washington, all home games. I want to know what your favorite games are on Twitter. You can send me those at NFL on Twitter. And speaking of Twitter, we're going to come back on the other side and take your questions on the Twitter mailbag here on the Locked On Dolphins podcast at NFL at Locked On Fins. I've reached the point in the summer where my little podcast studio in the upstairs of my house is just scorching hot because we do not have central air and I have to sit here with the air conditioning turned off because it's just too loud and I don't want it to sound like a 747 is getting ready to take off here on the podcast in your guys' eardrums. So we're sitting up here sweating it out today like we do at training camp in Miami. With that said, let's go ahead and get back into your Twitter questions. You guys know the drill. I put the call out on my timeline on Twitter. You respond with a question. You get a Twitter shout out here on the show, and I answer the question on the show as well. We did a few of them yesterday on the Thursday podcast. So if you don't hear it today, go back and check out Thursday's podcast for your question on the Twitter mailbag here on the Locked On Dolphins podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. And this first question here comes in from Rich. He is at RichAL13, RichAL13. Fitzception or Fitzmagic? I'll go with Fitzception for the quarterback because I think Minka should get Fitzmagic going forward because he's going to have an all-pro type of career every single year. And why not call him the Magic Man? So let's go with Fitzception. But in all seriousness, he asks, running back depth chart after Drake and Balazs, is Patrick Lair just a camp body or can he at least make the practice squad? I think he's a very good looking prospect for the practice squad. I have high hopes for Miles Gaskin because all he does is produce, at least that's what he was at college. I think he's scheme diverse and he has a way of getting himself squared up to the line of scrimmage and getting extra yardage that way. Kenneth Farrell was productive in the AF or AAF. And Mark Walton is a very talented back who just is a bit of a knucklehead when it comes to off-the-field issues. So I think between Gaskin and Mark Walton, they should have some depth at running back. And I literally just tweeted this five seconds ago recording this podcast on a Thursday afternoon that the Kansas City Chiefs cut Washington State running back the undrafted free agent James Williams that I talked about on the podcast for a couple of months there. So he is now out there. I would love to see him get brought in because as you all know by now, he was the leading pass catcher among all running backs in college football a year ago. Next question here comes in from Chris T at C Thompson 2123. What is the holdup with going back to the uniforms permanently? Can we start a campaign to force Ross's hand? It's very simple money. They can sell both jerseys and the fewer times they wear the throwbacks, the more, the the more mystique they kind of have because fans don't get to see them all the time. And they're more likely to go out and buy the throwback jerseys, but also have the modern day jerseys in their closet as well. So it all comes down to money. If they go to the throwbacks permanently, they're going to have to find a new alternate. And I'm not sure if they can improve upon those. You kind of want your alternate to have a positive glow about it because then you can sell both jerseys and make more money. Next one comes in here from Steve C. He's at Stevie Splash 11. Not really a question, but a statement that I agree with. 
Please tell me Kiko won't be an every down linebacker again this year. I don't think he will be just because I think that if any linebacker is going to play every down, it's probably going to be Raekwon McMillan for what he can do inside and outside as a pass rusher and in coverage that way. Jerome Baker might find his way into that role as well, although some would argue that Jerome Baker's miscast, but I think Kiko Alonso has only one or two things that he does very well, and so the Dolphins will find a way to keep him in that role, and I think he probably plays right around 60 to 70% of the snaps this season. Next question here comes in from Kevin Gerard at Kevin Gerard 13 on Twitter. And there's a few questions in here. The first one is my thoughts on Maurice Smith. I've been one of the biggest proponents of Maurice Smith based upon what he's done in the preseason. I think he has the range to play that single high center field role. So he might get a crack at that because they're trying out everybody right now. And if he can function as both a center field safety and play special teams as well, he's got a backup role on this roster at the very least. Number two about Vincent Taylor's position. I think I agree with you because he says that he's more of a penetrating defensive tackle, but not a better nose. Yeah, he can win with quickness, but he also has the power. I think he's a really good looking three technique in this defense. And the third question is best man on man cover cornerback after X and Xavier Howard or after X and Eric Rowe rather that we have. I'm going to go with Jalen Davis, the slot cornerback. I think he has the most quick twitch and just overall technical refinement to play the position to get the feet work and the hands married up in unison to cover guys man up. I think that he will stick on this roster long term. So Jalen Davis is my answer there. Next question from Chuck Thompson at DuPont underscore 1985. If you weren't a Finns fan, who would be the team you would have followed? Side note, I'm in West Virginia and my second team has always been the Seattle Seahawks. You know, I hated the Seahawks during their heyday in that 2013-2014 run just because the fans around here, as I'm sure they are in every city when the team gets good, they were brutal. They were so rough to deal with and they weren't here before and they're not here after, but they were definitely here during that run. But I always argue or joke that it would be so much easier if I were just a Seahawks fan because they're local and I'm, a, I'm literally Pacific Northwest in every other sport that I do. The Washington State Cougars, the Seattle Mariners. If basketball comes back, I'll be a Sonics fan as well. So I wish that geographically speaking, it made more sense. But I love this Dolphins team so damn much. I'm never going to change. So I will say Seahawks number two, although Kyler Murray in Arizona would definitely have me looking for them if I got to pick based upon what the roster was and not just going off of geographics. Next question here from Scott Jennings at ScootFin34. Where does Bryce Butler fit on this team? I kind of like his potential. He's basically Devontae Parker and Preston Williams. Those three guys are competing for that X position because it's a different role on this roster that none of the other guys really fit. Kenny Stills, Albert Wilson, Jakeem Grant, none of those guys can play that role. And someone has to play that role rather consistently on Sundays. You're probably going to have an X receiver play about 50 to 75% of your snaps. So one of those guys has to earn that job. And I think Bryce Butler is capable... And he has produced in this league before, but he's going to have to beat out Devontae Parker and Preston Williams. Can he do it? I think he might be able to, but the upside with the other two guys is much more apparent there, in my opinion. Next question here from Dustin at all underscore day underscore bro. Hypothetically with Fitzmagic at the range for this offense all season, where do you see this team record wise? I think if Ryan Fitzpatrick starts, they're going to win more games than if Josh Rosen starts. And to be quite frank with you guys, it's because I think Brian Fitzpatrick is a better player. Now, that doesn't mean Josh Rosen won't eventually become the better player long term, like in two or three years, because Fitzmagic all of a sudden becomes 39 and Josh Rosen's 25. I would expect him to get better. But right now, I think Fitzpatrick's better. So I think if he starts every game, I'll go six and 10. If it's Josh Rosen, I'll say five and 11 or four and 12. 
I don't think it's going to be a huge difference, but I think there will be a difference if it's Fitzpatrick compared to Josh Rosen. Next question from TJ Brackeen at TJ Brackeen on Twitter. What is your fantasy season record for the Dolphins and how far will they go in that fantasy world? Well, I mean, 16 and 0 winning the Super Bowl, right? That's what we all want and hope for. I am, I'm that guy from the major league movies. I'm Randy Quaid from the major league movies where I'm stoked for the start of the season. And then once things go off the rails, I turn my hat wrong side out. I cross the face off the logo on the t-shirt and I turn into the bickering fan that wants them to move the team out of town or whatever. But even when the Mariners were 13 and two this year, I was like, we're going to trade for relievers. We're going to get all in on this thing Win the American league West. And now here we are a month and a half later and they're the worst team in major league baseball. And I'm all out on the Mariners. So if things go off the rails early, I'll be all for the tank idea. But as far as week one goes, win every game, man. I want to see Ryan Fitzpatrick host a Lombardi trophy. That would be the ideal fantasy world season. This next one comes in here from Derek Eslin Purvis. He's at my public facade on Twitter. Love the analysis and film breakdown on this, the best Miami Dolphins podcast. Well, thank you. But why do you and the rest of the media couch your articles in a negative defeatist tone? This team has as good a chance as any at the playoffs. Name one team without flaws. Well, every team has flaws, but this Dolphins team has multiple flaws. And I don't think that I'm necessarily one of the more negative tone people. I just am telling you guys how I see it this year. Last year, I was super upbeat and positive about the team. I thought that Ryan Tannehill would come back to his old ways. He did not. And that lost me a lot of credibility with some people, but I'm just trying to call things like I see them. I mean, they've kind of purged this roster and didn't do much to replace it. Now, I don't think those guys they purged were necessarily guys that have a long-term impact on this team, but they didn't replace them with anybody. They just basically called guys up off the depth scrap from behind the starting lineup. And so to expect them to go out and win more games, I think is probably wishful thinking. But I, I mean, I'm just trying to tell it like it is, man. That's my entire goal. I love this team more than anything besides like my wife, but I'm going to be honest about how I assess this team because I think that earns me the most credibility. And right now I just see him as a five or six win team. That's it. That's really all it is to it. Next question here from OrangeFin44 at JSHU2313. Man, these names are killing me today, guys. Who would you rather have, Trevor Lawrence or Tua Tungavailoa? Very easily Trevor Lawrence. I think he is the next generational prospect at the position. Next question here from Leighton Stauffer at Stauffer underscore Leighton. Of all the players who are still playing that the Dolphins have let go over the years, who do you wish they would bring back the most besides Cam Wake? Well, I think the obvious answer here is Jonathan Martin, right? The right tackle that was so good. Well, all jokes aside, there really isn't a good option for this because you can go back over Jarvis Landry or Jay Ajayi. I'm not that interested in having those guys back at their current contracts, or I guess I should say for Landry's contract. Ajayi, I'd actually be okay with him coming back, but I think his knees are time bombs. To me, there's two answers right here. It's Olivier Vernon and Michael Thomas, the defensive lineman and the safety, because Michael Thomas was tremendous on special teams. He was a captain and a great guy off the field and in the locker room. Olivier Vernon would be a good scheme fit on this defense, but again, his contract's kind of tricky, but I think in terms of making this team better, he's probably the best choice. But you go back over recent years, there really isn't that many good options to come back for guys that are still playing in the league. Next question here from Anthony Lopez at Anthony Rock with two Ks at the end. Has there been a team in history that you know of with comparable talent or lack thereof to that of the current Miami Dolphins that has made the playoffs? And I'll just go with another Miami Dolphins team in the past. 
That 2018 was not talented from top to bottom, and we saw that play out in 2009, 2010. They were a 6-7-8 win outfit at best, and they found a way into 11 wins because the quarterback was stable. And quite frankly, I don't see why Ryan Fitzpatrick can't do the exact same thing. Now, they had the soft schedule, I'll give you that. But this year, the schedule to me isn't that bad because all the tough games are early in the season at home where this team tends to find a way to win games. And I mean, I could see it happening. Like I don't, I'm not going to put money on it happening, but if the Dolphins went out and started two and two and then got hot and got a couple wins in a row in that Washington, Buffalo, Pittsburgh jet stretch, like if they won three out of those four and all of a sudden they're five and three, I don't think that would be crazy. So the 2008 Dolphins to me would be a very apt comparison. Okay, let's try to fly through some of these real quick because we're getting short on time. This one from Vero Delfino at Dolphins Rule All. You're forced to make out with someone on the roster. Who is it going to be and why? Man, I don't know. Let's, uh, I got to answer it. I'm going to say Christian Wilkins because he probably will have something to talk about so quickly that he'll end it really quickly and we can get back to just hanging out and drinking some beers and talking about football and not make out with each other. So I'll go with Christian Wilkins. Next question here from Wiki Mimon at Wiki M. Given that you can't stand country music, if it meant the Dolphins winning the Super Bowl this year, but you can only listen to country music for the rest of your life, would you do it? And yes, this includes being the Patriots in the AFC Championship game. Yeah. Yeah, I'll fall on that sword for you guys. I mean, how great would it be to see this Dolphins team first year under Brian Flores win a championship? If they win one Lombardi in my lifetime, I'm good. So I'll take that sacrifice and basically just stop listening to music because they don't really make good music anymore anyway. And I'll just listen to podcasts and get rid of music altogether. So yeah, I'll take that bullet for the Dolphins fans. Okay, let's go ahead and take our last break. We'll come back and do a couple more of these and preview the NFC East here next on the Lockdown Dolphins podcast at Wingfield NFL at Locked On Fins. You can always count on Vero for the weirdest questions in the mailbag. He once again wins that distinction this go-around on this two, uh, Friday, June the 14th edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast. We are part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Let's get to a couple more of these rapid fire. This one comes from Rob at Fins and Heat. Why do announcers show South Beach during Fins broadcast acting like the stadium is right next to it when it's miles away? Yeah, I don't really know the answer to that because... Personally, going into downtown Miami was a nightmare for me, and I want nothing to do with that because I'm not big city life like that. But also where the stadium is is pretty much ran down neighborhoods that are not good places to be. So either way, pick your poison. But I think people just associate the Miami Dolphins with South Beach. Next question from Whiskey Hangover. He is at Diamond Dave 305 Let's say the Dolphins have a solid season and Rose proves that he is worth the investment. Who should the Dolphins prioritize or target in the draft next season? I really like this receiver class and think this Dolphins receiving uh, core could become one of the best in the NFL if they had like a Jerry Judy or a T. Higgins or a C.D. Lamb or a LaVisca Chenault. If they went that direction, I think this offense could really take off to another level. So give me a receiver, one of those guys, preferably Jerry Judy. Next question from Justin Holcomb. He is at Finsider Hulk. What's the best college team of all time? I've got to say Miami 2001. 
That's probably your answer, but I'll go ahead and give you another one and do one more recent. I'll say this year's Clemson team because Trevor Lawrence is going to be even better in my opinion. They have two like top or first round draft picks at receiver, a first round draft pick at running back. They have linebackers and defensive linemen. They do have to restock that D line, but they're going to do it because they do it every single year. So give me 2019 Clemson and see if they can compete at that level again this season. Okay, there's actually a bunch more good questions in the mailbag, and I'm going to come back to those probably on Sunday's show because I got to get to the rest of this podcast. But if you didn't hear your answer, your question answered just yet, stay tuned with me. I'll get to the rest of them. There's some good ones I really want to answer in there as well. But let's go ahead and get to our last topic here on the podcast, the end of the NFC Divisional Previews. If you guys are dreading these portions of the podcast, well, it's too bad because today we're going to do the NFC East and we start with the Philadelphia Eagles and how they snuck into the postseason last year was pretty crazy, but I think it's even crazier how Nick Foles had the support of some people over Carson Wentz because in my opinion, Wentz was an elite quarterback and he still is. The last time he was fully healthy, he was the MVP of the league up to that point before that ACL injury in 2017. I charted all of his throws that year and he was quite literally unstoppable. Even last year, he was good before he got hurt again. And this roster is probably the most loaded in the entire NFL. They have depth all over and replacements for aging veterans waiting in the wings. Andre Dillard backs up Jason Peters. They've got Lane Johnson on the other side, still have Jason Kelsey on the inside. You pair that with Alshon Jeffrey, Zach Ertz, a committee of capable running backs, including my favorite from this entire draft class in Miles Sanders. On defense, they're just as good. The front seven is loaded with Fletcher Cox, Malik Jackson, Timmy Jernigan, Derek Barnett, and Vinnie Curry. If the Dolphins are going to find a way to pick them off in December, they're going to have to attack vertically and get this Eagles defense on its heels early in the game and go after them often that way as well. But back to the offense, you're going to have to plaster the receivers when Wentz breaks contain because he's a magician when he does so, but also dealing with the multiple looks and options on that offense. Personally, I don't see a way Miami hangs into this game, at least on paper. Then there's the reigning champs in the NFC East, the Dallas Cowboys. They provide plenty of problems for Miami in their own regard. It's fantastic news to hear that Travis Frederick is back and healthy. He's back with Tyron Smith, Zach Martin, and Lyle Collins on one of, if not the best, offensive line in football. We know about Dak, Zeke, and Amari. I think Dak gets way too much crap because he is the Cowboys quarterback, and it's popular to pile on that guy, but he really reverted back to his 2016 form late in the season last year. He's a sharp processor with quality accuracy and the ability to beat pressure. The defense might be one of the best in football with Jalen Smith and Leighton Vander Esch patrolling the middle. You have Byron Jones back there still and one of my favorite corners, Cheeto Awuze, along with Jordan Lewis. Up front, off the edge, they have Demarcus Lawrence and that matchup that he has with Laramie Tunzel should be one of the best in the entire season this year. This is one team that can line up and just go downhill at the Dolphins, but also thwart the running game on the other side of the Dolphins just as easily. I think this one stands to be a pretty lopsided affair as well, especially on the road. And then after Dallas and Philly, there's a huge drop-off, and we'll start here with the Giants. The entire offense is now Saquon Barkley. They brought in Golden Tate to replace Odell Beckham, but they picked up the one quarterback available this offseason who probably wasn't an upgrade over the worst quarterback in the NFL 
If they actually start Eli, then they are even dumber than we all thought. But then again, the option to go to Jones, who to me was undraftable altogether, isn't an attractive option either. They've put a lot of money into an offensive line that isn't any good, and their defense has been picked apart in recent years. This Giants team is just one that does not get it. Dave Gettleman was a washout in Carolina, and now he's ruining the Giants. Stuff like the Alec Ogletree trade last year, they rely on him in coverage when he just cannot do it, like Kiko Alonso. They draft Dexter Lawrence, a top 20 pick, to play half of your snaps. Now, I do like DeAndre Baker with the next first round pick, but they botched a great opportunity to change things this offseason. This is a game that Miami has a shot to get, even if it's on the road. I don't trust either of those quarterbacks to beat a Brian Flores defensive game plan. And then finally, the team in Washington. It sounds like they might wind up starting Dwayne Haskins at quarterback, and they should. He needs to play. But I think this is one of the top candidates for the first pick in the draft next year and Tua Tungavailoa. Jay Gruden's on the hot seat. There's disconnect there between he and the GM, as there is every year. They did have a great draft getting Montez Sweat and Terry McLaurin later on, but the roster is severely lacking. Adrian Peterson's their best weapon on offense. Their best receiver is Paul Richardson. Jordan Reed is still there, but will he ever stay healthy? Probably not. Defensively, they have a pretty solid front seven. Jonathan Allen and Deron Payne will provide good challenges to the Dolphins' interior defensive offensive line this year, I should say. They still have Ryan Kerrigan off the edge, and I'm a big fan of Ryan Anderson at linebacker. Their big offseason ad was Landon Collins at safety. He's making crazy money for a guy that really only had one big season. This is a game the Dolphins should be able to get as well, playing at home against a team that wants to play the ground-and-pound style, a rookie quarterback in all likelihood. I think this is one that the Dolphins win. Let's go ahead and do the best of the NFC East here real quickly. The best team to me is the Eagles. The best player is Carson Wentz. The best offensive player, I'll go a different direction and say Saquon Barkley. Wentz is just more important to his team. The best defensive player is Fletcher Cox. I think the best offensive rookie is the running back, Miles Sanders in Philly. The best defensive rookie is the cornerback in New York, DeAndre Baker. And the best coach is Doug Peterson. The best rivalry, I sincerely hate this division, honestly. And the reason for that is probably because of the what have you done for me lately factor. Just like there's still this hive of people that think Eli Manning is a good player because of things he did 10 years ago, there are certain people that find those riveting sub-500 NFC East primetime matchups in November interesting still. Couldn't be me, but they exist. I'll say it's Eagles and Cowboys right now just because they're the two best teams in the division and those games probably decide who wins the division this year. Okay, guys, that's going to do it for today's show. We're going to come back on Sunday with the Tua Tonga-Vailoa scouting report, some more of these questions, and all of the daily fixings for your Miami Dolphins football team. But as for today's podcast, I'm going to go ahead and get out of here. Please be sure to subscribe to the podcast on the new Himalaya podcast app. Leave us a rating. Leave us a review. Check out the other Lockdown Sports family of podcasts for all your local and national coverage of your favorite teams. Follow me on Twitter. It's at NFL. The show is at LockdownFins. Keep up to date on the Daily Dolphins blog over at LockdownDolphins.com. You guys have a fantastic weekend. We'll talk to you again on Sunday for another edition of the Lockdown Dolphins podcast, your daily dose for Miami Dolphins football. Fins up.